Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison. And me, as yours, This man, Prince of Darkness, and we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsborneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... Come to, on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> Warning. This episode contains foul language, as well as discussions of missing persons, mass death, suicide, murder, and abortion. to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, eerie, chilling, dark, messy, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with a guest or just the two of us and we talk about something weird. And this week we are diving back into a big pool of mystery. You've heard us chat unsolved mysteries before, especially when it comes to murder, but today we are focusing on the craziness that is vanishing without a trace. No weapons, no bloody scene, no body. What happens to these people who disappear and are never seen or heard from again? Did they start a new life in a faraway land? Did they hitch a ride on a spaceship with some alien buddies? We may never know, but what do you say we dig into some stories and come up with our own wild theories? Don't you go and disappear on us. You're going to want to hear these tales. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos. (laughs) Hello. Uh, Hi, guys. We're tired. (laughs) We're sleepy, and we're just going to be honest about it. (laughs) I'm (laughs) extra deep and raspy, extra sleepy, and we're going to get... Through this. We'll get through it. Uh one way or another, we will make it through. I uh it's fine. Before we actually get started today, I did want to say thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to give us a review on iTunes in the last few weeks. Yes. Because we've gotten like four or five new five star reviews, and you have no idea how much that helps an indie pod when it comes to like monetizing your show or even like getting seen by more people so thank you thank you thank you to everyone who has taken the time to do that for us this past month and everyone who's done it for us over the past five years we've been around for a while we love you yeah that's been awesome to see the newest reviews that have come out have been like the most kind wonderful reviews yeah i can't even handle it i feel i'm starting to get imposter syndrome where i'm like oh that can't be it can't be us they can't be talking about me i know (laughs) No, you all are so sweet, and it definitely has given us an extra boost. I feel like we've also gotten a lot of new, fun Instagram friends messaging yeah. us, too, and it's just very fun. Yeah, we, 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 we get very excited when we see new listeners pop in, so yes, we're happy to sure. have you. Thanks for coming by. Um, we're actually going to hop right in today. 
Um, as Lauren was saying, we hear stories all the time about people disappearing without a trace. And as scary as it is, it's something that just happens. And yeah. I would say that it's safe to say most of the time, unfortunately, these people are probably not in a good place. And right. what we should be looking for are their remains or evidence of a murder. Um, And some people think having a good idea about what happened in these situations makes the stories less scary, but I kind of disagree because (laughs) in some cases, I think that kind of knowing what happened, but still not understanding the why or the who is just as scary as I think it's very terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is no trace because we've done so many unsolved mysteries where it's like okay there was blood on the floor and they were clearly dead but we just don't know who did it but in these cases it's like where are they (laughs) why are all of their belongings just sitting at their home why is their car parked in this weird area it sends chills up my spine it scares me more than a lot of unsolved mysteries do i don't know what it is it's very eerie and it was funny when we were playing this episode, I was like, let's find ones that no one's ever heard of. And then I ended up doing two stories that people have heard of. But, <laughs> the- but you really <laughs> dug in. You went deeper. Yeah, yeah. I went deeper than I've ever heard anyone talk about them. And I also, it w- the only reason I chose them is because I learned so much. Like, I thought I had a good handle on each case. And then I read about it and I was like, I didn't know this at all. I've got to tell people. For sure. And I I guarantee I'll be the same way because I think I even told you in the text, like, I have heard of both of your topics, but have not done a lot of digging around. And I just know you're going to blow my mind this evening. I'm going to go first today and do it. A good example. One of the biggest disappearances in our entire lifetime would have to be that of Malaysia Flight 370. Yes, my goodness. My goodness. This happened on March 8th, 2014, as Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 took off from Kuala Lumpur International Airport towards Beijing, China, carrying 227 passengers and 12 crew members. The pilot's name was Zahari Ahmad Shah, and the co-pilot's name was Abdul Hamid, and they both had years of flight experience, no history of trouble, no, you know, red marks on their, on their history, on their flying history, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. The plane had no problems reported before takeoff. Skies were clear. There was no reason this plane shouldn't have made it safely to Beijing. Should have been just a perfectly normal, lovely flight. flight. But less than an hour after takeoff at about 1.19 a.m., MH370 would end their final and completely uneventful chat with air traffic controllers by saying, all right, good night. Like there was nothing to report, essentially. They reported that things are cool. No urgency in their voice. It was just (laughs) like, thanks for all your hard work. See ya. Yep. And uh, shortly after this, almost immediately after this, the plane vanished from radar and neither the machine nor any of the 239 people on board were ever seen or heard from again. Insane. I'm so glad I'm flying on Wednesday uh, after researching this. (laughs) I'm not excited. Um, (laughs) The plane disappeared from radar because the plane's transponders inexplicably stopped sending signals. And at first, investigators assumed that that's the moment the plane went down. So that's where they sent the planes and boats to search near the South China Sea. But later on, the Malaysian military disclosed that their specialized radar systems do not rely solely on transponders. 
and they had caught MH370 diverting dramatically off course shortly after the last chat with air traffic control. The plane veered west, came within 200 miles of the island of Penang, and then made a slight right turn and flew out of the military's radar range deep into the northern Indian Ocean, and they were on a path that was almost directly opposite the direction they were supposed to be heading. Mm-hmm. Which, like, no, we'll talk about it afterwards. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we'll venture into that <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it later. I'll tell yes. you what happened. It was also discovered later on that the flight's communication terminal, their SATCOM, was severed for a large portion of the flight, but then was weirdly reconnected just minutes before the plane disappeared from military radar. So disappeared, you know, kind of the second time. (sighs) Then the SATCOM stayed online for another six hours before eventually going out again. And that is when they presume 370 finally crashed down. But again, they presume that before they were wrong. They don't know. But during the six hours the SATCOM was reestablished, several attempts were made to contact the pilots, and every single one went unanswered completely. Hmm. So most people think this plane disappeared without a trace, and essentially it did. But the truth is, it does look like we found some traces of it. A total of 33 pieces of debris have been found, three of which they confirmed were from... Uh, MH370, and usually like 100% when you... 100% they're from that plane. Yeah, usually when you find stuff like that and you can confirm it, it's because there's some sort of serial number on right. a piece. That makes sense. Um, And then the rest were just sort of suspected as coming from yeah. MH370. And these pieces were all found by 16 different people in six different countries so we don't know where the plane is still because the the debris has floated (laughs) to so many different places how far apart are the countries like is it possible that the debris could be that far apart right i don't know i I actually i even tried to research like oh where were these pieces found and i couldn't i couldn't get any details on like which countries they were found in but gotcha That's still, I mean, it's wild regardless. Completely. Experts almost unanimously agree that the debris proved that Flight 370 did crash somewhere in the Indian Ocean. And the fact that we haven't found the plane or any of the people on the plane isn't crazy. I don't know if you guys have heard, but the ocean is enormous and it's terrifying. (laughs) I don't want to go that deep to look for a plane. Sure (laughs) don't. Sounds awful. Yeah, I'm sure the people that whose job it is are like, we don't want to go out there. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Have you seen the ocean? <laughs> but the question of, like, why this happened is what's so baffling. Yeah. Because none of the pieces of debris that were found were able to give us any clues as to whether or not the plane broke up on impact with the water or if something happened to it in the air. Like, if we had found a piece and it was charred, we might be able to say, oh, that must have been from an explosion or a fire. But everything has just been junk pieces. Which I'm also kind of like, okay, if someone wants to think that this plane disappeared, they could have just, like, taken the plane apart and thrown the pieces in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Technically. For sure. I don't yes. really think that's what happened. That seems like a lot of work, but you know what? But it's possible. <laughs> so some theories have been thrown around over the years. Some people believe it was a hijacking, um, and that basically came about because it was discovered that two of the men on board has had used stolen passports for the trip, which led people to Ooh. believe immediately like, oh, terrorists? Yeah. 
But after digging into the men, the police concluded that they actually weren't related to any terrorist group. And instead, they believe it was illegal immigration that was happening, which is, you know, illegal, but not like nefarious. Like that doesn't doesn't mean they're going to try and take a plane down. Yeah. Yes. And also, if it was a terrorist attack, I feel like someone would have claimed it by now because terrorism usually isn't committed in secret. Yeah, they're saying this was us, we're angry, do something about it. Yeah, we're mad and here's why and you should, whatever. So I agree. Probably probably not terrorism. Some people believe it was a mass murder-suicide, which is horrifying. Oh my gosh. Yeah, specifically on the part of the pilot, Zahari Shah, due to something that investigators found on a flight simulator in his home. Which I didn't oh. know anything about this. This simulator no. contained an eerily similar route to the one that MH370 took that day, with oh, both paths ultimately ending in the southern Indian Ocean. What? Yeah. And like to add even more suspicion, he was raised in Penang, suggesting that the flight's second turn, which curved right around the island, was like a last attempt at seeing his hometown before ending his life. Oh, my God. Which is just absolutely bonkers. Obviously, though, this is entirely circumstantial. So unless more evidence were to come forward that he was homicidal or suicidal, we can't really say right. for sure. Because they, could, they couldn't find any one in his life. Hard evidence. Yeah. That said, oh, he was definitely suicidal or any medications that he could have been on. Like, it just didn't seem like. Yeah, it didn't seem super likely from what they're finding. But but that is super shady. And I can't believe that hasn't been talked about more with the flight simulator. And just interesting that you had said earlier that like communication was cut off and then at some point reconnected. Like, it seems like that would be something only a pilot would know maybe how to do. Maybe that's incorrect, but it just seems very fishy. But, you know, if it was a terrorist, they could have had a gun to the pilot's head or something and said, you have to turn this off. Right. Some people believe everyone on board was dead and that the plane was flying on autopilot. Oh, my gosh. Which, so like some something happened to them on the plane and, and no one was flying, but that's been debunked, thank God, because that's like, what, ghost plane? Like, what do you mean? We're getting paranormal over here. <laughs> but um, the angle and the speed of the turns that were made, as well as several speed changes during the flight, proved that there was an active pilot during okay, the flight. Okay, gotcha. So... Definitely not on autopilot. It wasn't some sort of malfunction. Yeah. The plane was being piloted, but, but was what it was piloted by a villain, or was I just or <laughs> have to know, or was it a ghost? Pilot. Or was it ghosty? I don't know. Seriously, actually, there was an aerospace engineer named Richard Godfrey who is also a member of a group that was set up to try and solve the mystery called the Group of Scientists, which is not the most original name. Nope. sorry that just really got me we'll call ourselves the the group group of scientists scientists. we will be changing the world okay go ahead but they believe that the pilot changed direction and speed multiple times not only to avoid giving any clear idea of where they were headed Mm -hmm. but also the flight path they took made it seem to him that the pilot or whoever was directing the pilot Appeared to have knowledge of the operating hours of different countries' radar systems. Mm. And that on a weekend night in times of little international tension, the radar systems would not be up and running. Oh. 
which is like, whoa, yeah. that seems like a an incredibly planned. Yes, this seems like a premeditated, very much planned out thing now. Which to me, if you were the pilot, I feel like somewhere in his home you would have found notes, right, being taken, or if you had like you could look on his computer and find that he had Googled these things. You know yeah, what I mean? Like I just feel like there saved. would have been evidence. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so aside from the did they do a lot of research into the pilots? I mean, I assume they did, but like, did mm. they search their computers and everything? Oh okay. yeah, I yeah, because they they. Their main uh, idea was that it was a suicide, like a mass suicide. Right. Well, when they, when it came to like, what if the pilot did it? That's why. Yeah. Um, so they they did. But the thing is, too, is that there's a pilot up there and a co-pilot. Right. So in order for him to do something like that, he would have to like physically kill the co-pilot. Yeah. Uh, it just seems, seems like a lot. Seems like a lot of work to kill yourself uh-huh. for for just the sake of, of killing yourself, you know what I mean? Right. Not that it's never been done before. It just seems like... I don't know. It's, I don't there know. Would there would have to be a lot of planning. Be, <laughs> there would have to be a lot of planning, and I feel like there would have to be another reason, and if there was another reason, I feel like that would have been clear, uh-huh. you know? He would have been doing it because of this, like right. he got a horrible breakup, and he wanted to get back at her, yeah, or... Yeah, like there would have been a message I don't there. know. Yeah, as opposed to just, like, I wanted to kill myself. And it's like, well, you sure went through a lot of trouble. Yeah, and you hurt all these other innocent people, and we don't And you like hurt all you. these other people. Not cool, bro. But like I said, you know, uh, it's happened before, and, and yeah. wouldn't be crazy if it happened again. But the biggest theory, and the one that I I think I subscribe to the most, is that the plane was shot out of the sky accidentally, oh. and it's been covered up to prevent war or save their own asses dang who do they think shot it down or they have no idea that's just a theory malaysia okay basically what happened is the authorities believe that mh370 was hijacked for a 9-11 style attack on kuala lumpur Mm -hmm. after the radar showed the initial unplanned turn back towards the country okay and according to a private investigator who's worked on the case named Noel Ogara, this prompted Malaysian officials to scramble a fighter jet who would fire a warning shot and get the plane back on course um, because they weren't able to communicate with the plane at all. No. But if the warning shot fired and accidentally brought the plane down and killed everyone on board, that's not something you want on your record. That's right. not a good look. Yes. For anybody no. involved. Makes sense. And that would potentially explain why the initial search was so restricted and the military was being so cagey about it. It would, yeah, because they did not want this to get out. They're like, oh, just yeah. a, a big old mystery, an angry they pilot. Could disappear without trace, Bye. yeah. Yep. It's also weird that it wasn't until March 15th, an entire week after the plane disappeared, that the search was brought into the Indian Ocean, despite the military admitting that they had observed the plane heading that direction. Hmm. Shady, shady, shady. <laughs> yeah, for like a week, the search was sort of at the uh, the initial point where they thought the plane went down, and then all of a sudden, like a week later, they moved it over to the Indian Ocean, and then the military's like, we knew it was over there. It's like, what? Why'd you what? take a full week to go over there? And if that was the case, then that means the military shot it down, retrieved as much of the the crash as possible, cleaned it up, took the black box, et cetera, et cetera, and then 
basically said, maybe search over here because uh, we, we saw it going this way. Right. But it's gone. The evidence is gone by that point. My gosh, you're so right. This is the theory I now, buy into. <laughs> I think so. With everything that we know, that's the one that seems the, the most plausible to me. But some people also say it was shot down by Russia, but I think they're confusing that uh, it's another tragedy, another Malaysian flight that took place the exact same year, MH17, mm-hmm. which crashed and burned on July 17th, 2014, with 298 people losing their lives. And this one is basically 100% proven that Russia shot down the plane. And as far as I know, there's still a lawsuit being pursued. But whether or not anything will happen with it is like right. uh, yeah, unlikely, I think. Yeah. I do remember I that really story. know how that works. And thinking like, man, Malaysian flights are not having a whole lot of luck in recent years. Seriously. But no, that that is really sad that they were shot down by... Russia and just like knowing that knowing that that happened that's almost just as sad as this weird mystery but I I, what happened with that was something like Russia had changed the altitude at which you could fly in certain places like two days before oh my gosh and I don't know if the pilots hadn't recalculated their I don't don't really know exactly what happened but basically they flew into like enemy airspace Uh. And it was horrifying. Like, I read a description of what happened because the plane was shot down. And what happens is they don't shoot the plane. They shoot a missile that goes off next to the plane and then explodes shrapnel Jeez. into the plane. That's incredible. And I was just brutal. like, <sighs> oh, man. Oh. Hurts my heart. I cannot imagine. Horrible. Yeah, that is horrific. And it's now, it's really sad to think that that is probably what happened to this initial plane, but yet everybody's family and friends have just gone on and on without any closure of like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, it probably what happened crashed, to my kid? But or, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll never know why or how or when. It's got to be horrible. One thing that remains suspicious about the crash is the missing black box. And to explain to you why it's strange, I kind of have to explain to you how a plane's black box black box works. Uh-huh. <laughs> how a plane's it. black box works. That's a hard one. And um, I'm going to skip a lot because I'd rather you stay awake for the remainder of the story. But <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know about, I mean, I knew what a black box was. I knew that that's like where all the information of the flight was stored and it records sound and it records blah, 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 blah. But I actually learned a lot and it was super interesting. But the plane's black box is a flight recorder that records the performance and condition of an aircraft in flight, and they consist of two devices, the flight data recorder, or FDR, and the cockpit voice recorder, the CVR. And they're usually carried in the tail of the aircraft because that's usually the structure that's subject to the least impact in the event of a crash. Okay. So you want to protect it as much as possible. And despite being called the black box, they're actually the brightest orange color you've ever seen. <laughs> really? <laughs> They are so orange. Um, They're like Nickelodeon Obviously, orange. Orange. Oh, my gosh. That is wild that it's not actually black. More, more orange. No, orange. it's so orange. It's called like international orange, too. It has like a funny oh. name like that. And it's obviously to make them as visible as possible amongst yeah. the rest of the debris when a plane crashes. Okay. But 
essentially what happens is the data is stored in a digital format on solid state memory boards. And there's up to two hours of cockpit sounds and 25 hours of flight data are stored. And the new data just continuously replaces the old. Because really, you only need to know what happened in the last day or the last two hours of a flight to be able to put together what the hell went wrong. Um, And then all of this, the memory boards are housed within a box or a cylinder called the crash survivable memory unit. And this consists of a heavy stainless steel shell wrapped within layers and layers of insulating material and covered by an aluminum housing. And it's expected to survive 3,400 Gs. Whoa. Flame temperatures as high as 1,100 degrees Celsius. It's not even a temperature I can wrap my head around. It's not even a temperature that exists, guys. <laughs> That's and <it's> fake. <laughs> that is the temperature coming out of a rocket when it goes into space. And pressures encountered at about 20,000 feet underwater. Wowza. So like they are like made to be indestructible. Yeah. And they are also equipped with a sonar device. So if a plane does crash at sea, the sonar will ping for at least 30 days. What? Yes, I did not know this. 30 days, a whole month. So where were the pings? Well, the 584-page report that was released by the authorities in 2015 revealed that the battery powering the black box's locator beacon expired over a year before the incident. My... Good golly. What? Supposedly. How did anyone just let that slip by? Yeah, that's exactly. Rude. That's kind of how I feel. Supposedly, according to them, it was an error in maintenance records kept uh, that kept the battery from being replaced. Yeah, yeah. Maintenance records. Right. I know. It's like, well, someone, it's like, I, okay, <laughs> fucking maybe, but. I don't buy it. The battery for the other black box of the cockpit voice recorder was up to date. So those locator pings should have still been in working order. Oh, yeah. But the Indian Ocean is 24,383 feet deep in the Java Trench, which is where it's at its deepest. So would that be enough to destroy the black box? Some experts actually say no. That much, that extra, you know, 4,000 feet wouldn't be enough pressure to destroy it. But also, like, how quickly would it sink to the bottom of the ocean? Like, there's a lot of factors to take in. So if we're searching multiple areas, like, why did no one pick up a single thing? For real. No one got a single ping from the sonar? Yeah, that just seems false. I don't believe that at all. What are they hiding in the black slash neon orange box? (laughs) In the black slash not black at all box. (laughs) It was, honestly, it was one of two things. It was the absolute perfect storm where somehow this battery just didn't get replaced for years and the sonar wasn't working and that's why the blah. Or this whole thing is fishy as fuck. But it's one of those situations, uh, like many others, where we can only go off of what we're being told and the likelihood that we are being told everything is, you know, it's slim to none. So Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're definitely being lied to. So unfortunately, this is going to be something that we probably never, ever figure out, which drives Mm -hmm. me bananas. Absolutely bananas. And the thing is, is some people, you know, they'll go like, we're being lied to. And it's like, well, that's not always a a bad thing. You know, we could be being lied to because they, they do know who did it and they're building an investigation. 
Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that happens all the time. You can't always yeah. tell people. That would be like saying like, oh, we were lied to during the, the Zodiac murders because they didn't tell us about this aspect of the case. It's like, yeah, because they were getting like 500 calls a day from people claiming to be the Zodiac killer. I was just going to say- had like- to. Lie. In murder investigations, you have to hide those details. Otherwise, yeah. like, yeah, then the killer is going to be on to you and blah, blah, blah. And until you get all the information and you know exactly what happened, like, you can't just be like, hey, guys, we're lying to you, but we can't tell you the truth because <laughs> that's not how it works. Because right. whoever is responsible for it, if they're responsible for it, they're they're going to be reading every news article that comes out about this thing. 100%. So that you know, is such whether a good example. We're being lied to for a good reason or a bad reason. There's definitely information that has yet to um, come forward, but I don't know. I'm still going for the the idea that they they knew the military specifically knew what happened to the plane and took whatever they up. needed to 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 cover up whatever aspect of it they needed to. But they I also might. Because it was a, I think it was a Boeing 777. It was a big plane. So it's not one of those things where it's like, it could have landed. Someone would have noticed Yes. a plane like that landing. It didn't land somewhere. There are such things as water landings. Right. Um, Where, you know, people, the inflatable slide and people slide. But then like, you know, we would have, I don't know, we would have found something yeah. if that was the case. So I know. As much as that's almost just more sounding like a fun fantasy to believe like the plane landed somewhere everyone got safely out and they're now living on this strange island somewhere like that's the thing is if the plane did land somewhere safely the passengers are dead yes everyone is dead something happened to them that's not great i did read somewhere that it was like four percent or nine percent i think it was nine nine percent of americans when they were interviewed in 2015 believe that aliens had something to do with it (laughs) which is fun but i don't i don't know i mean maybe like here's the thing it could be a close encounters of the third kind scenario where you know all of a sudden that plane pops up in the desert in arizona and it's like, how did it get here? They've had all that lost time, and now they're yeah. just suddenly in Arizona, hanging out in Phoenix. Yeah, totally fine. I mean, yes, we love a good alien story, so, like, you're talking to the right people, but most right likely, <laughs> most likely it's the military just lying to our faces. Yeah. But, so. you know. That's a bummer, but I am glad that I researched it, because I really didn't know that much about it, and I also, like many other people... Uh, got the two um instances confused. Yeah, because we had for sure. the the two things happened within months of each other in the same year, and and I think that a lot of people get the details mixed up. But for sure, and I think even in the back of my head, part of me was like, oh yeah, it got solved, right? Because we now know it's Russia. But then I had to realize when you first told me what topic you were talking about, I had to go online and be like, wait, there were different flights. She's talking about the really mysterious one. So I definitely made that mistake too. But this one, yeah, that is still bonkers to me years later. I don't understand. But And like I know that I'm flying to Illinois, so I'm not flying over any bodies of water. But it is just so scary to think about like international flights and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's just like you're just – you're just out there yeah in the worst place on the planet yep 
and you can just dive down into the deep depths of the ocean at any yeah. moment. I hate it. I hate it. <sighs> Where well, are you going today? Louisiana? <laughs> Memphis? I was going to say Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong like, that was both times. <laughs> perfect segue of you saying you were flying to Illinois. I was going to be like, that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm headed. Um, I am going to talk about, well, Illinois and also kind of Indiana, because I'm talking about Lake Michigan, and I apparently, I know nothing about the Midwest where I'm from, but apparently there is a side of Lake Michigan <laughs> that touches Indiana, which should make sense to me, but it, it didn't until this story. So geography's not my strong suit, everyone, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm going to look up the U.S. map. Yeah, well, you look at a map. <laughs> Because I also am like, wait, what? Yeah, I was reading the story and they're like, at one point, I mean, we'll get to it, but it's like, oh, oh yeah, and okay. Gary, Indiana is on the other side. And I was like, it is? <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, well, I forget that it, it dips down there. Next to like the mitten of mm -hmm. Michigan. I also forget <laughs> that Illinois is, is that high. Yes, we are Because high we're up from, well, not we, you're from much closer to the tip top, but I'm from the very bottom, so I always forget about y'all. You're basically in Kentucky. Is I Kentucky am 100%. Uh, yeah, it's like below <laughs> us into the, <laughs> my right, you're right. Um, it, yes. Yeah, it's below <laughs> us, and it's like right above Tennessee. Okay, making sure I wasn't saying complete Dude, garbage. I'm like, you're listen, basically in Kentucky. I'm yes. with you when it comes to geography. Do not ask me where things are. No. Where's Maryland? Who's to say? I know. I didn't understand how New York was shaped for so long. I had to look it up one day because I never understood how people were getting from New York to like all the surrounding states so quickly. And I was like, oh, well, it's kind of skinny. Anyway, it's a whole thing. I don't know. No, understand. it is a whole thing. I remember when I visited Joe's family and we drove from Connecticut to Maine in like a couple hours. And I was just like, how is this a thing? Because I think, you know, we also grew up in such a big, fat fucking state. Yes, Illinois it takes me long. twice as long to drive to Chicago, Illinois, from my part of Illinois, which isn't even the very bottom. And it took us like uh, four hours to drive from Connecticut to Maine. It's like, how is yeah. this a thing? We went through it. a thousand states. Right. It's just bizarre. Yeah, we, we come from a very long state. Anyways, guys, I hope you guys uh, get out and see the beautiful countryside. <laughs> I just know there's so many of our listeners because I feel like we have a lot of very intelligent people who listen to the show who are sorry at we're home, dumb. Like, why don't they understand how our country works? Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I had to find out that Indiana can <laughs> connect through Lake Michigan. Great, I okay. learned something new. The more you know. Okay, so this one is crazy and sad, and I don't understand it. But it is, I'm calling it the Lake Michigan Mystery, because it doesn't okay. really have a name. Um, on the morning of July 2nd in 1966, little throwback, we're Good going year. in the past, there was a woman, a young woman named Ann Miller, who was driving her Buick to pick up her friend Patty Blau. I think me and Ashley agreed you'd say her name, Patty yeah. Blau. Blau or Bluff, I'm actually thinking now. Bluff? Yeah, I went back and forth with Bluff. Mm. I'm just going to call her Patty. Yeah. It's B-L-O-U-G-H for our listeners at home if you did want to Google anything later. But Ann Miller was picking up her friend Patty Blower Bluff in her family's home in Westchester, Illinois around 8 a.m. 
Patty told her mother that they planned to return home early in the evening since their friend Renee Brule was coming with them and she needed to be back in time to make supper for her husband. Anne and Patty picked up Renee from her home um, on Chicago's west side and then arrived at the Indiana Dunes State Park at approximately 10 a.m. Anne parked in the main parking lot at the park and the women did a little hike to a spot that was about 100 yards from the Lake Michigan shore. There was a couple sitting nearby on their blankets, and they later stated that the girls left all of their belongings at the beach at noon and entered the water just to, you know, splash around and enjoy it's a hot summer day. Um, The witnesses then saw them speaking to an unidentified man who was operating probably a 16-ish foot long white boat with a blue interior. They were unsure of the time when this man approached them, but the couple described to the park rangers at around dusk that same day that when they noticed that the women's belongings were still sitting on the beach, that the women had gotten on the boat and headed west with the driver and never returned. And their stuff had just been sitting them for sitting there for hours on end. So these people sitting next to them were kind of like watching the stuff all day because they're like, okay, they're getting on the boat with this guy, but surely they won't be gone long because they left everything they own, but whatever. But they stayed because they were so curious. They ended up staying until dusk and then finally decided to tell a ranger And then somebody came to collect their stuff and put it in Lost and Found. And sadly, Anne, Patty, and Renee were never seen again. Renee was 19. Patty was also 19. And then Anne was 21. So super, super young, had their whole lives ahead of them. Two of them were single. Only Renee was married. So all three women left clothing, purses, and personal items behind in the sand. Which is also weird. So weird. That they took, like, they didn't take anything, which I think is the most bizarre. Unless the guy said, like, I'll just take you for a quick spin. But even then, like, to leave your... To leave everything behind. Yeah. But but go on. Because, like, money, keys, all of their, like, very personal belongings were in there. Identification. Like, it it was very bizarre. It also could have been a sign of the times. Like, I don't know. Sure. You know, it's the 60s. People left their doors unlocked. And they, you know, and today it's like... You left your purse sitting right next to you in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't How... sit on top of your own purse for several <laughs> hours to protect you your things. Block it. I mean, you know the story of when I left my purse outside in, the car. in my car in a yeah. gas station and didn't lock the door and I was gone for maybe two minutes and it got stolen. So yeah. guys, gotta be careful out there. I agree with you. I had a moment where I was like, oh, well, it was the 60s. It's fine. But the way that it was such a red flag to the couple that was sitting next to him on the beach makes me still think it was bizarre. I mean, yeah. it, it made them think twice and it made, it made them feel them protective. made them think enough about it to stick around yeah. for several hours to see yes. if they came back. Yeah. Like, we're waiting here till sunset and we're telling a park ranger because this seems very weird. And, like, again, these women were so young. So I think, yeah. like, I think this was more of a middle-aged couple and they were kind of looking out for them, like, getting protective. Like, what the heck? So, yeah, all those belongings left behind. Then they were stored in one of the park ranger's offices until July 4th when Patty's father called the park searching for his daughter. And the park rangers finally learned that day that a missing persons report had been filed for the three women and that's why their belongings were left behind Mm -hmm. so in illinois they were officially missing people and the park ranger was like okay i thought this was just a lost and found situation i'm going to do some looking around he searched the park and saw that ann's buick was still in the parking lot her car keys had been left with her purse on the beach but there were actually even more items of clothing and 
uh, money, personal effects inside the car as well. And it was still parked in its original spot from July 2nd. No one had moved it. Everything was the same. It was just like truly they up and vanished. Everything was left behind. So the park rangers get other law enforcement agencies involved, including the U.S. Coast Guard. The search was in full swing by July 5th, three days after the girls had vanished, and other witnesses started to come forward who were in the park because they did remember the boat and the girls. Um, And they all kind of said different things here and there. There were, of course, some conflicting stories, and people were drinking and at the beach. It was close to July 4th, but authorities came to gather that the three women did indeed get on this, like, 16-foot boat with a man and took off and did not return to the beach. So the first story that they heard from that couple was the most reliable, and they kind of went off of that. They did search in the water. They didn't do a super extensive search, but also... They didn't rule out drowning, but it was known that these three girls were pretty athletic and really good swimmers, so it also seemed very strange that they would have drowned. But, I mean, they did check the water. They checked all around the park. They checked, like, within six miles of the park on, like, tons of land going into the forest. I mean, not forest, but, you know, wooded areas. Like, they were truly checking everywhere. It was continuing day and night for the following week, week and a half. More witnesses came forward that substantiated that initial report about the women getting into the boat, and then later accounts started to come in saying that it was believed the man was in his early 20s with a tanned complexion and dark, wavy hair. And a beachgoer actually was taking home videos on July 2nd, was just like filming the water and some of the boats, so he offered his film to investigators, and it helped. The search was narrowed down to two boats after the detectives watched the footage because they did see a 16-foot boat operated by a man with dark hair and three girls were getting on it. But then... Uh, in the On the film? Yes. But then it just, like, disappears and then the film stops. But it's, like, from a distance. The guy's pretty right. far away. But they're like, this is, like, a 16-foot boat, like the people said, and there's three girls, so they got all excited. But then they see another second boat. It was probably more like a 26-foot. They called it a cabin cruiser. I don't know anything about boats, but it was big. It was more of a fancy boat. And this one had three men and three women aboard. And again, it's from a distance, but it sort of looks like the three women's Mm -hmm. descriptions. But now, who are these three guys? This cruiser was seen later at around 3 p.m., three hours after the women had gotten on the smaller boat. But reports had come in that after... A time after they were seen on the smaller boat, they were seen on a beach opposite of the one that they were on originally, like walking around and eating lunch. So it was known at this point, after watching the footage, that they had gotten on a smaller boat. They did make it to somewhere else. But then did they get on this bigger cruiser and vanish somewhere else? Were they the three women on that one and did the boat switch out? So now it's getting confusing and weird. Then someone from the second beach did say, I saw three girls talking to a man on a large cabin cruiser, and they got on board with him. So it is believed that they did get on the second boat, but there was no name painted on the stern of this boat. There were no, like, big identifiers, so nobody really got anywhere further with this bigger boat. Nobody got further with the smaller boat because once... You know, investigators went to check the marina and people who had been at the park that day, there were a million 16-foot boats and they could not find this dark, wavy-haired man anywhere. So the sighting helped in a way because they sort of knew more what they were looking for, but it also was like exhausting and the leads were just really not taking them to anywhere specific enough. Then a psychic gets brought in, which we love to hear. (laughs) 
And she um, claimed that she had a vision of a Lake Michigan cabin where the women's bodies were buried. So they bring her on this extensive search of the property and they find this area where she says, oh, this is definitely it. This is what I was dreaming of. But unfortunately, they dug around the area and they did not uncover any evidence. However, detectives were saying that because of the shifting sand dunes in the area, anything buried could have been shifted and been pushed very deep underground to a place that they couldn't get to. So nobody was saying, I'm really happy about this, because I was worried after they didn't find anything, they'd be like, see, this is why we don't bring psychics. But they did not say that at all. They were actually like, you seemed like you were onto something. We believed it. But I think our evidence could have been washed away at this point. So then the investigators are like, we got to look into the lives of these women and see, you know, if they were into anything crazy. So in Renee Brule's purse, she's the married one. They found Mm -hmm. a letter addressed to her husband, Jeff. The couple had only been married for 15 months at this point. But in the letter, she was asking for a divorce. Her husband told police that he was not aware of any problems in their marriage at the time of his wife's disappearance. And even like in-laws and her family were saying the same things like, I really don't think they were having that bad of issues. Maybe she just wrote the note in a moment of anger and never gave it to Jeff because she changed her mind. She just needed to vent. I don't know, but we all don't believe anything was happening. And they kind of just shut that down. But I was like, huh, I mean, I just tuck that in the back of my mind i've done that before where it's like i want to say something to someone so i will type out an email and save it in my drafts and then by the time and then it's like i'm gonna sleep on it and if tomorrow i want to send this i will and if not and almost i would say nine times out of ten i don't send it i agree i'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility i Mm -hmm. I was just like that's just something to tuck in your back pocket but it is kind of weird though to like keep it in your purse Yes, that it was but still in there. 1966, who knows? They didn't have email. I know. I do it on my notes app on my phone, mm-hmm. and then the next morning I go back and read it, and I'm like, usually I, I am like, this is awful, and I can't believe I was this angry. Of course, I'm not going to say this <laughs> yeah. to anybody, but I do that sometimes. Almost, almost every time I'm like, wow, I'm glad I did not send that. Same. That seems like an overreaction. <laughs> I think I was being dramatic. <laughs> Sometimes it's not even an email or a text I want to send to someone. It's something I considered posting on social media because mm-hmm. I'm, like, mad at people from my hometown. Oh, but then yeah. the next day I'm like, oh, that was way too sassy. That I just uh, I just got my Facebook back. I don't know if you noticed. And... I saw. I loved what you posted about the vaccines today. Oh, yes, I did. Vo- well, yeah, because I, I had told just a few people I was coming home and they were like, awesome. And I was like, I'm, you know, there's going to be one day where I would like to see if I could see people. And like two people, I was like, oh, I totally forgot. I I guess I should ask, are you vaccinated? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, I'll see you next time. But (laughs) what I was going to say is my uh, new bio on Facebook, because I I reactivated is I'm back until I can't keep my mouth shut anymore. Yes. And I'm teetering. I'm teetering. (laughs) There have been a couple comments that I've typed up and either like posted and immediately deleted. And it's like, you're about to lose your Facebook privileges again. I know you're anyway. you're giving it your best shot, but I totally get it because I again I type it up in my notes app first, but I have <laughs> like, almost posted not many worth, angry things. <laughs> not worth I know. the anxiety and the sweaty palms I'm gonna have waiting for people to react to what I say, so I'm just gonna delete this. One hundred 
percent. Yes. Anyway. Um, okay. Anyway. So yes, that could be what the note is, <laughs> okay. or there could have been something up with husband Jeff. We don't know. But right. um, a popular crime reporter from the fifties and sixties named Dick Wiley, which like that's the I... best reporter name I ever did. Hear. That's a fantastic reporter name, and that sounds familiar. I wonder if I have like a book of his or something. You probably do. He reported on a lot and just did, like, I mean, just a ton of investigating. Like, I feel like it, it just, well, I guess that's pretty common with crime. But yeah. you're never just really a crime reporter. You're, True. like, getting in there. So I love this dude. I love his name. Um, he covered a lot of, you know, the, the heavy hitters in the 50s and 60s. So he believes there is a lot more to their story. You know, people were starting to, I think, just get exhausted because the investigation wasn't leading anywhere. And they're like, the girl's drowned. Let's just say it's that. But mm -hmm. he was like, no, no, these girls had had some things going on so he uncovered that all three women were friends drawn together by their love of horses which will come into play but patty and Anne met while boarding their horses at the same illinois stable and then renee had been a classmate of patty's through high school and so she was introduced to Anne, and they became you know the little trio that they were because they all loved horses and they connected so the women would ride together a lot and then meet at this tavern in Hodgkins, Illinois, after their outings together. It was very common. They would go a couple times a week and they would end the night drinking and having a good time at this tavern. So according to the theory created by Dick Wiley, this is where like the events leading to their disappearance all began here when they started riding together. So Patty and Anne were single, and Wiley believes that while out drinking and flirting and having a good time, they fell for married men they met at the tavern. Those were some of the rumors swir swirling around with people he talked to. And an even bigger rumor was that they both got pregnant from some of these men. Aye. Later, statements from some of Anne's friends confirmed this. I mean, not a full confirming because no one ever saw, you know, a sonogram or anything. But Anne's, some of Anne's closest friends claimed that she was indeed three months pregnant and been, had been complaining about it in late June, early July 1966 and mentioned going to a home for unwed mothers prior to her disappearance. So was this a real plan of hers or did she have plans to end the pregnancy? No one is sure about that, but it gets even crazier because we learn that abortion was illegal in Illinois in 1966. No mm. surprise. But um, some Chicago women found themselves when they found themselves in trouble, visited a house just across the state border in Gary, Indiana, where a husband and wife team named Helen and Frank Largo would perform backroom abortions. Wiley has linked the Largos, who are now dead, to a floating abortion mill that operated on a houseboat in Lake Michigan. What? So, through all of his digging and finding out about these pregnancy rumors, he believes that Anne and Patty had arranged abortions on that houseboat on July 2nd, and they were ferried there by Ralph Largo, who is a nephew of Helen and Frank and was also kind of a seedy guy. And he believes this because Ralph was seen at the park that day and matches the description of the tan young man wow. with the wavy hair. Which is why we love Dick Wiley, because he's the only one that was coming up with this stuff. So Wiley believes that the women were taken out on the smaller boat to get onto the larger boat, which is more likely where something would have been performed, or maybe it takes you even to a different boat from there. I don't know. But Renee, the married one, was probably just there for support. But they, it is believed that something went wrong with one of the procedures and the other two were killed so that no witnesses would be left behind. So they think maybe one of the women died during her abortion procedure and then they just had to clear everything and leave no witnesses. 
And it's awful and horrible to think that that is the answer. But learning what we have about these women, it's like, okay, that doesn't sound that crazy. And it also explains why they would leave their belongings on the beach, because apparently these procedures were supposed to be super quick in and out, which is also kind of gross and makes my body hurt. But they expected to be back within an hour. So they probably left their things behind thinking, we're just going to go do this super quick and pretend nothing happened. Obviously, the Largos are deceased, including the nephew. He actually just died in either, or no, it was 2009. So we don't have a ton on this other than this theory, but it's totally plausible, even without the evidence. Just speculating about this is like, okay, I could totally see this. But unless a body turns up, of course, it's just a theory. Um, The other theory, again, comes from their love of horses, because Anne, Patty, and Renee often rode at the Tricolor Stables in Palatine, Illinois. Palatine? Never heard of it. No, I've never heard of that either. (laughs) Which were owned by a man named George Jane and his brother, Silas Jane, who were involved in fraudulent activities. They were wanted for murder at one point, and Mm -hmm. they actually um, were the reason that, well, they weren't the reason, but there was a woman named Cheryl Ann Rude who assisted at the Tricolor Stable. She was killed in 1965 by a car bomb that was later found out to be meant for George Jane because of his illegal activities. Damn. So he didn't set the bomb, but it was because someone was after her. George had asked Cheryl to move his Cadillac from the stable entrance, and when she got in, the bomb exploded. Some believe that maybe Patty, Anne, and Renee had witnessed the bomb being planted when they were hanging out at the stables, and they needed to be silenced. And this theory got thrown out kind of early on because people were like, well, then why didn't they get killed until, until a year later? Yeah. Like, why did it take so long? Yeah, they would have probably taken it care of been that. Quicker, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I do agree. However, in March 1966, Patty had received a facial injury that was pretty rough. She had some scrapes and a black eye, and one of her cl- one of her friends claimed that she had made an offhanded remark about it and just tried to brush it under the rug, but then months later when all three women disappeared, that's when the friends started to be like, "Okay, wait, was that a warning of something because it seems like this whole boat situation is really shady." So, That's the other theory thrown out is were they involved in something with the Jane brothers and did that help to get them killed, which, again, all theories are horrible and also plausible and sad. And unfortunately, we will never know unless some remains surface, either in Lake Michigan or at some random campsite nearby. We will just have to see. But very sad. They were so, so young. So sad. And there are some claims that, like, people have seen them over the years. Like, oh, I saw them in downtown Chicago. Like, that all. But that happens, I think, with any disappearance. So, of course, there is a small chance that they're still alive and living a secret life somewhere. But most likely there was some foul play. Yeah. I would say that that's very unlikely. I... Man. See? So... (laughs) Joe Joe was talking about, like, he was showing me pictures of this beautiful lake in, in Denver, in Colorado, and just, like, how pretty it was. And I was like, oh, it looks so nice. And I was like, too bad I'll never get in it. And he's like, why? There's no monsters in lakes. Like, there's nothing. And I was like, first of all, yeah, there are. Second of all. Have you seen Lake Placid, Seen Lake Joe? Placid? <laughs> seen Lake Monster, River Monsters, Lake Monsters, whatever right? that show is? Like, 
There's something. Yeah. I there's, listen. There's I can feel it. Lurking. I can feel it. But <laughs> another reason is like I just know that bodies. There's so many bodies. Mm-hmm. So many. I think of that too. I used to always go tubing on the Illinois River, which now looking back is so disgusting because it's like brown and nasty and everyone throws their (laughs) trash in it. But I was a youth. Um, But I also thought I like of all the like missing people that have gone missing, like (laughs) I just said missing too many times, (laughs) all the people that have gone missing in Peoria and just were never found. Nobody knew what happened to them. They are in that river. I know it. I believe it. And I just Ugh. floated around with my fucking PBR in my hand. <laughs> that Sitting in an the world. Yeah, so Ugh. scary. Oh, uh, that I that abortion clinic, the like floating abortion clinic is is scary for so many reasons. Just mm-hmm. with the it's just sort of like a cautionary tale for anyone these days who's anti-abortion or pro-life or whatever. And it's like right. we've women have had abortions since the beginning of time. There are abortions in the Bible. It, it's something yeah. that's going to happen. All you're doing is taking away safe access to it. That's it. I was just going to say you're, you're not, making it more dangerous. Yeah, you're not you're not going to be like causing less abortions and you can look no. throughout history to prove that all you are doing is taking a safe option away and risking you're- the life of the child and the mother. Yeah, you're going to make them get these like back alley abortions or go to a freaking houseboat because they think that's yeah. their only option and it's just Yeah, you're just really putting women in harm's way by getting rid of abortions. And I think, unfortunately, people are never going to really understand that. But yeah, I... I was, again, so much was revealed to me in this story because, like, it makes sense that abortions were illegal. But yeah. I think I, I forget about that. Like, yes, that makes sense for the time. Yeah, the 60s, you forget but... about that. In our mother's lifetime, Yes, abortion was illegal. Our parents were alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it's just wild. wild to think about. I also saw this uh, thing the other day that I think is kind of interesting. It has nothing to do with this episode, but I thought you might like it. <laughs> I'm sure I will. I never thought of this before, but basically it was a, this woman was saying, you know, if you are pro-life, if you're anti-abortion, you cannot be for in vitro fertilization because oh. essentially what they do is they harvest eggs and they don't just take a egg. They harvest several eggs, sometimes a hundred eggs. They harvest a bunch of eggs. They fertilize them all. And then they take the viable ones for insertion. And what happens to the rest of them? You've essentially had, you know, 100 abortions at once. Yep. And yes, sometimes you can donate the fertilized eggs if if they are viable. And if they are not. So it's like, so if you believe that life starts at conception, no exceptions. It starts at conception. You cannot be for in vitro and for in vitro fertilization. That is such a good point. But of course, I'm sure yeah, someone will find a fight. way to like yeah. talk themselves out of it. Yeah, like, oh, but no, but I... Which yes, is why it does so much good. I have yeah. to get off Facebook. 
Yes. It's a lot. Anyways, that's all yeah, the time we have uh, this week for, <laughs> for Keep It Weird. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show. Next week, we've got more mysterious disappearances coming your way. But in the meantime, follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all platforms and let us know what you think happened in these cases. If you enjoy our show, please head over to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app and give us a beautiful five-star review. Please. If you really, really love our show and you want to support us financially, head over to patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast and donate one, five, or ten dollars to the show once or set it up to donate monthly. And uh, currently you'll have access to two bonus episodes a month, a newsletter full of cool and creepy stuff discounts on merch and shout outs on the show you can also hit up etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast to buy yourself a t-shirt tank top hoodie sweatpants or even a blanket to let the world know how truly weird you are yeah <laughs> and our oh sign no up. what's our sign <laughs> <laughs> don't Done. go on a houseboat yeah <laughs> I just avoid know. lakes. I mean, avoid la- Honestly, avoid bodies of water in general. Whether you're flying over them, relaxing ugh, beside one. I, was say. I know it's summer, but like, just be careful Try out to go there in pools. because <laughs> yeah, pools exist. You can buy an inflatable pool from Costco for like two hundred bucks. I was gonna say, and they make like nice adult size ones now. Yeah. Go in pools. Try Stay to avoid murky Stay waters. Just be careful out there. And (laughs) And keep it weird. Keep it weird. (laughs) Black box. Black box works. Uh (laughs) How a plane's black box works.